we do this thing called worship nights, and we, of course we do worship every week, and we do worship songs, and I usually come up and I'll do a message, and, and we've been in the book of Matthew for a long time, but once in a while we like to pause, and we like to do an extended time of worship. And here's the deal, is worship is not just something that happens at church, it's something that happens all around the world. It's not just something that religious people do, it's something that everybody does. And so if you're here for the first time, or you're not really sure about this whole thing, you're like, wait a minute, I, I don't worship I'm just, I kind of stand awkwardly during the songs. I'm not really sure what to do during the whole thing. But here is my proposal for tonight for you to consider is this that everybody worships, that there is not one person in the world that does not worship, whether they consider themselves religious, whether they believe in God or not. Everybody worships. And I didn't come up with this. In fact, there is people who are very secular people. One of, I'm going to give you a quote David Foster Wallace. If you've heard of him, he was a very popular author. And uh, here's what he said. He said, uh, there's, he said, there's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And so he says this, and the Bible actually affirms it, is that every person worships something. And when we mean by worship, we don't just mean sing songs to something or to someone. What it means is you make something the ultimate purpose of your life. Everybody has to live with a purpose. They have to make something their ultimate. And whatever that thing is, is the thing that you worship. And so if you're not really sure what you worship, let me give you two things to consider. Your, your nightmares and your dreams. Your dreams. What is the person or the thing that you believe, if you can have or if you can keep, will fulfill you? What is the person or thing that if you can have or if you can keep, you believe is going to fulfill you? Or what is the thing that if you believe you will, if you lose, you will lose the will to live? Because whatever the answer is to those two questions, everybody has an answer. That's the thing that you ultimately worship. And so for me, I, uh, I'm I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I try to make him my ultimate, but there's always things that are fighting for that number one spot in my life. And so for me, it's my kids. My kids and my wife are the thing that fights for that number one spot. I constantly am thinking about them. I'm worrying about them. I spend so much time on WebMD, it is ridiculous. In fact, we have our, uh, I didn't know this, this is great, but you know, with FaceTime and all that kind of stuff, you can call your doctor. And I found out that my doctor, um, we call uh, after hours all the time, just to, you know, check in, see what's up. And so I called the doctor and I found out they live in the same neighborhood as me. As soon as I find the address, it's game over. We're just going to be knocking at the door like, what do you think about this rash? You know, like it's going to be... It's going to be over. So I'm one, I'm one step away from knowing where she lives. Anyway, super creepy. But everybody worships. It could be career. It could be money. It could be your significant other. It could be comfort. It could be approval, beauty, achievement. Whatever it is, everybody has something that they worship. And the, the Bible says that we would, uh, that, well, let me pause for a second. I remember hearing this, and this is probably the most explicit um, uh, admission of somebody worship something other than God. I had a friend who had three kids, still has three kids, and I remember talking to him when we were talking about just how hard it is being a parent, and it's nerve-wracking, and we worry all the time, and, and he said to me, I would rather die and go to hell than allow anything to happen to my kids. And I thought, whoa, look, I get it. As a parent, I want to protect my kids. I want to make sure that they are taken care of. But to say that I would rather go to hell for eternity than them have kind of some physical ailment or some issue or even death itself, that seems like your priorities are a bit out of whack. And see, he was being honest to something that a lot of us already feel. 
is we're willing to trade. We may not say it, um, we may not say it explicitly, but the way that we live and the way that we act, we are saying that this is the thing that I care most about. If it's not God, it says, uh, the scripture says that um, our, our, our loves are out of order. So Augustine, who's a famous theologian and philosopher of fourth century, he defined sin in an interesting way because when we think about sin, we think about these like things that we're not supposed to do. God has this list of rules and he says, don't do this and make sure you do this. And what Augustine says is actually what sin is, is deeper than that. It's not a list of, of things you can and cannot do. Sin is ultimately your loves are disordered. So all of us have an order of loves in our life. Think about it. Um, if you have a job that you love, that's on your love list. If you have a spouse that you love, that's on your love. If you have kids, if you have, you name it, we have these orders of love. Now, should you love your job? Yes. Should you love your family? Yes. Should you love your job more than you love your family? No. So if you love your job more than you love your family, that means that your loves are out of order, that you need to um, put more time and energy and love into your family than your job. Now, the scripture says the same is true uh, with our love for, for God, is if we love anything more than we love God, that is going to be uh, sinful. That's the thing that's ultimately going to destroy us. It's going to crush us. In fact, that is the end result of disordered loves. The reason why is because and by the way, the, the, the term in the Bible, when you love something more than you love God, it's called an idol. It sounds old-fashioned. You think of a, you know, an image, something that's on, a, on a, a pedestal or something like that. But the scripture says it's anything that you love more than you love God. It says that idols will always end up breaking your heart because they can never sustain the weight of your deepest hopes and dreams. They always end up collapsing under the pressure See, here's the three things I think that can happen when you put your hopes and your dreams and your purpose and all of your meaning into something other than God. One of three things happens. First thing is that you will realize your dreams, but it won't be enough. So think about all the celebrities that you've seen in the news lately, all these accusations, all this crazy, this immoral, sometimes uh, celebrities can be some of the nastiest people. Why is that? How, why is it that billionaires can be so nasty and so angry? What, they have everything that you and I want. Why are they so upset? Here's what I think happens, is when you become um, famous, when you're a celebrity, when you're rich, whatever, you no longer have the illusion that life is going to be good if you just had fame or you had money. There are, our whole life, we think that that is the answer, that if we had this, then we would be happy. And what happens when you get that thing is you realize you're no happier than you were before, but you don't have the hope and being happy once getting that thing. You thought money was going to be it, you got the money and you realize this isn't it, and so now you're worse off than you were before because you don't even have the illusion that money's gonna make things okay. Second thing that can happen is you will realize your hopes and your dreams, but you will lose them. I think uh, we see this a lot in athletes, is when an athlete has a career-ending injury, and we had um, a friend of ours, Landry, come and talk about this. He was an NBA player, and he had a career-ending injury and not only was there uh, physical issues that he had, but now people are starting to realize we not only have to fix what's physically going on in their life, but we have to fix what's emotionally happening because when they lose their career in sports, they lose everything. They lose their identity. They lose their meaning. Oftentimes, they go into a deep depression because they were defined by what they could do in that sport. And when they lost their uh, physical ability to do that, they lost all of their hope, their meaning, and their identity as well. 
And the third is this, you will chase your dreams uh, your entire life and continue to believe that they are the answer. And this is probably where most of us are going to fall into, is we will live under the illusion that the reason why we're not happy, the reason why we're not satisfied and fulfilled is because we haven't realized our dreams yet. And in fact, you probably won't be one of these super successful, super rich celebrities, famous. You probably won't be those, and that's, that's actually good news. But if you continue to believe that the reason why your life isn't panning out the way that you think it and you don't feel the way that you should is because you didn't get those things, you're going to live under the illusion for the rest of your life that that is ultimately what's going to make you happy. So I think if worshiping anything other than God ends up breaking our hearts, then the converse is also true that worshiping the true God can bring healing to our hearts. That if we were made to worship and we can only find that fulfillment in, the, in worship of the true God, then worship ultimately becomes a time of healing. See, oftentimes we're looking for specific things. Some of us are looking for security, and so as we look for security, we think maybe money is gonna bring me security. Or we're looking for love, and so we settle for sex, or we're looking for some kind of comfort, and so we distract ourselves when we try to escape. We're looking for purpose and meaning, and so we make it up, or we look for acceptance, and we're trying to impress people. But when we actually go to the source of who can give us all of those things, we realize how petty our attempts have been. If we want real security, we can not just have money, we can have eternal security, something that money can't buy and only the cross can purchase. If you want to have real love, it's not sex that's going to bring it. It's going to be the God who creates you, who created you, and who loves you and redeems you. If you want purpose and meaning, stop making it up for yourself because you're not that good. You're not that creative. Get on the program which God has had from eternity past and then you can be a part of it. You want real acceptance? Stop trying to impress people. It's, the cross has been enough. You are accepted. You are loved. Stop trying to impress God or anybody else around you. And so here's what I think true worship is. If you look at the word worship, um, it comes from the old English word worth-ship. Worth-ship. It's really taking God, identifying who he is, and then giving all of the praise and honor that he deserves. It's saying, here is how worthy you are. Here is what you are worth, and so I'm going to ascribe that worth to you. And so what is God worth? Well, think about who God is, and oftentimes worship has to begin with thinking. Is, uh, worship is involving the mind as well as our hearts and our will, our emotions. And so let's start with the mind. True worship has three elements. It has mind, emotions, and will. Mind, emotions, and will. And without those three, you're either just going through the motions, you're singing off key, you're whatever, okay? If you just have one of those three or just two of those three, it's not true worship. So true worship is engaging your mind. I think uh, oftentimes our relationships here on earth can be uh, analogous to our relationship with God. And so let me use my relationship with my wife to see if I can make sense of this. So one of the ways that I love my wife more is by learning more about her. The more that I know about her and her character and what she loves and, and what she's passionate about and her hopes and her dreams and the more time that we spend together over the years, the more that I fall in love with her. See, the same is true with our relationship with God. Is if we wanna truly love God, it can't just be all about emotions and what we feel in the moment. It has to be about understanding who God is, understanding his greatness, understanding his character, understanding his plan for our lives. And so, Part of worship is engaging our minds, thinking about as we sing these words, we don't sing them mindlessly, we sing them with intention. We think about the words that we're saying. Also, it's about engaging our emotions. Obviously, with my wife, I can't just be about uh, her facts of who she is and, and what she loves. I have to be about emotionally engaging with her. 
that we have to uh, connect on this, this heart level. It can't just be about um, the intellect. It has to also be about emotions. And so singing is a part of that, I think. And here's the, and I, I haven't fully thought through this. This came into my mind this last week. But I think one of the ways that God has created us, uh, especially our emotional side, is accessing it through music. Think about music. How powerful is music? Any kind of music. Think about the power that music has. It has the, the ability to transform cultures. It has the ability to impact people's lives um, probably more than any other, uh, any other thing in this world. Music. Why music? And I think music is this access to the soul in which we can, uh, it can touch us at levels where we don't even fully understand it. It literally has the ability to change us physically as we listen to music. Now, guys, you probably haven't done this before, but once you have kids, you will, is you will hear songs and they will make you tear up. You'll go, oh, why is this happening? What is this salty discharge? What is going on? Why? Why is this happening right now? And there's something that touches you at a heart level and you hear these songs and you think about your kids. Oh, right? Ladies, you know this. This happens to you all the time, okay? No, it doesn't happen to you all the time. No, oh, forget you. Okay, that's fine. But it happens at a deep level. For some reason, music has the ability to do something that just our intellectual side can't do. And I think that's why praise music is so important. Worship music is so important. It's because it allows us to access and harness this powerful gift that, has, uh, that God has given us, and we can focus it on the thing that is worthy of our worship. And the last thing is this, is engaging your will. There's a... Uh, Mutual submission between my wife and I. That's what marriage is all about. My life is no longer just my life. My life is shared with her, and her life is shared with me. And so she has full access to all areas of my life, and I have full access to all areas of her life. We have this mutual submission that happens, that I willingly submit my life to her, and she willingly submits her life to me. The same thing is true when we come to God and we worship is you, uh, if you've ever been to a church, and we do this here, and, and other churches do this, and, and maybe they're even more explicit than we are, is um, you've seen people raise their hands in worship, and you go, why do they do that? I had a guy come to me at the gym one time who goes to the church, and he's such a nice guy, super new to church, and he goes, hey, um, I notice people are raising their hands during worship, and I kind of want to do it, but I don't know what it means. Why do they do that? And I said, you know, that's a great question. I think the reason why they do that is because that is the universal uh, sign for surrender. Hands up, right? I give up, I surrender. I think every culture understands that signal. And so when people come and they put their hands up in, in, in worship, what they're saying is, I surrender. I am showing you with my body what is happening in my heart, that I am surrendering my will, all of my being to you. I think that worship has this ability to be able to heal uh, unlike many other uh, aspects of faith. That when we come to worship together, especially in a community, that there's something mystical about it. And I can't quite figure it out yet, but there's definitely something, because here's how I know. There's something mystical about worship. I believe that God comes and he meets us here and he brings some kind of healing into our life and that he has designed us in that way because if I look back into some of the deepest, darkest moments of my life, it is the time in which I have had the most profound worship experiences. I think that the deep, dark places, especially those seasons of our life, is pretty fertile ground for worship 
because we no longer believe that we're in charge. We no longer believe that we can do it. We know we are focused because we need answers. We need help. We need God to show up. And that's when we're most willing to worship. And all, uh, every single time God has showed up, when I come to worship, he has showed up and he has met me there and something happens. I walk out with a different attitude. I walk out with a new perspective. I remember, oh, here's who God is and here's who I am and here's why I can trust him and here's why he's worthy of my worship and I can walk out changed just through that experience. And so our, our prayer tonight is as we enter into a time of worship and eventually we're gonna do some uh, time of communion, that you would walk out of this place different that you would walk out maybe with a, a fresh uh, connection with God. Maybe it's the first time you've ever done this before and you go, man, that was different. There's, it wasn't just music, there was meaning behind it. Whatever it is, my prayer is that you would walk out with a new perspective, a new attitude, that you would be able to walk into this week and you would say, you know what, I'm prepared because I got to meet with the God of the universe and I know he's got it. And so let me pray for us and then we're gonna continue to worship. Lord God, uh, thank you so much for... Just this, this place that we can come and we can worship, but more importantly, the, the fact that we get to come and we get to worship you. And there is something, of course, mystical about this experience of worship in which we can't fully comprehend it. We don't totally understand it, and yet you come here and you change us. That if we come with our minds and we think about who you are and, and, and who it is that we are worshiping and and we come and we emotionally engage and we submit ourselves to you, Lord God, and you say that that's what true worship looks like, that you will be here, you will meet us, and you will change us. And so, Lord God, as we enter into this time of worship, we just pray that we would have no distractions, that we would allow our minds and our hearts to focus in on you, that we would totally um, put everything off to the side, and that you would meet us here. Lord God, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.